0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, executives you name it in the world of blockchain and crypto from around the globe. And today I have an amazing guest, and I'm going to try to pronounce her name correctly. Her last name, her first name is Elena, her last name is Natalinsky. She is the CEO of Iron Fish Foundation. Elena, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, and you got it. Good good pronunciation.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, so let's kick things off. And I'll ask you the first question is this, is what is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now?
1: Um, yeah. So I graduated with computer science um, and I went to Microsoft. Um, I knew I always wanted to start a company one day. And uh, I know Microsoft isn't the most obvious choice to go uh, to a company to gain startup experience. Um, but I did join a team within Microsoft that was the incubator team um, within the Office org. And so it actually attracted you know really talented minds um, from all around Microsoft. and I really enjoyed my time there. Um, I learned the hardware that incubators within large corporations like Microsoft don't work. Um, my team was reorged four times in the span of a year and a half. Uh, projects were killed. And so morale was very low, um, and I left Microsoft to join a startup in San Francisco called Tilt. Um, and Tilt was actually a payments startup um, uh, here in San, in San Francisco. The reason why I joined is um, I knew a lot of the engineers who uh, who were at, who were at Tilt from my previous internships at a company called Rackspace, um, and really enjoyed my time there as well. But Tilt um, was uh, acquired roughly seven months after I joined. So I got to see kind of the lifespan of a startup flash before my eye, so to speak. Um, and so we were acquired by Airbnb. Um, I was at Airbnb for a year and a half and that's when I kind of went down the crypto rabbit hole. Uh, and crypto is kind of like a brain virus. Like once you discover it, once you go to meetups, talk to people, uh, read, you know, uh, what, uh, white papers or follow some people on Twitter, you kind of just can't stop, but kind of, you know, uh, snowballs. Um, and so I quit my job, uh, from Airbnb, um, and decided to dedicate my time uh, or my, my full time to crypto. And, um, the way I kind of thought about crypto was backwards of like, what's the biggest thing that I could potentially work on. Um, and to me that answer was obviously privacy. That's, that's kind of how I got to that. So, and, you know, to your original question, like, is my background, you know, uniquely positioned for me to start a privacy, you know, cryptocurrency company and my pushback to that is, I don't think anyone in crypto currently was a, you know, an expert in crypto before they got to crypto. Like it's one of those very niche fields that you have to, you have to just get your hands dirty, and that's how you become an expert. Um, all of the engineers at Ironfish currently, I would say, are world experts at building blockchains, but pretty much none of them were. Uh, you know, working in crypto full-time. Uh, most of them were just kind of like crypto-curious, so to speak. Um, and they got to that status by really digging into the technology, like really uh, learning from past experiences um, and using first, you know, a, a principles first thinking to get to a solution. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question or not, but <laughs> hopefully that gave you a bit more color.
0: It does. Actually, my first experience with Microsoft in the in the crypto space was 2017 when I attended a conference that was put on jointly by Microsoft and consensus for blockchain, for social impact. And it seemed to me like a, like a, like a lot of bright minds were there. So, um, so that's, and I know people who have have left as entrepreneurs and gone to Microsoft. (laughs) Uh, So it's, it's, it's a, I think a a good experience. What you know? um, That's from what I, you know, experience with people, but what are your thoughts on what, is, what, is, what lessons did, have you taken from Microsoft to apply to your current uh, company, Ironfish?
1: Um, oh, gosh. Um. I haven't, I haven't thought of it that way. But I mean, I will say that I'm a huge admirer of Microsoft. Like I remember when I was joining, like, I think large corporations go through this phase of becoming too big to a point where they become stale and like unsexy. Um. And as a new grad, you know, like, especially when you're coming uh, coming out of college you're kind of in competition with the other peers of like am i going to the best company possible right um i think microsoft is starting to fall off that coolness scale um <laughs> a little bit um but i think they really turned it around um like i was there as an intern when they completely got rid of the qa position um which is like quality engineer um they have like a, like a tester position uh and they like they just kept revamping and making new products and i think like yeah, huge admire of the company. Um, in terms of what you know, what the lessons I took from Microsoft, um, I'm not sure that I did. <laughs> it's part of the reason why I think I left. I think like the, the biggest um, stronghold of Microsoft is the talent that they have. Um, and so um, just getting to know people, getting to know how to navigate large corporations, getting to know how to speak to other teams. I think that was probably the biggest lesson from, from Microsoft in particular. Um, but yeah, the connections you form uh, I think, are probably the biggest asset.
0: That's, um so let's get into Ironfish. You know, um, what is the Ironfish Foundation all about? And how do you differentiate your protocol from other privacy layers in Web3?
1: Yeah. So um, Ironfish as the project got started roughly in 2019. And I say this because um, I quit my job in 2018 uh, from Airbnb. And for roughly a couple of months, um, you know, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to be doing in crypto. <laughs> um, and in late 2018, we got some funding. Um, it was me and a friend of mine from Facebook. And, uh, and we kind of started to explore the privacy space in particular because it seemed like the biggest opportunity. Um, and I think it still is today for what it's worth. So, you know, back then and even now, most teams and talent and like really talented people were focusing on things like scalability. So how do you make blockchains process more transactions or stability? So stable coins. Um, and I think that got evolved to DeFi to some extent, but very few people were working on privacy. And to me, that would felt like such a huge gap. Like it felt like such a, you know, an obvious choice. Like, how are we going to have a payments platform where everything is just completely out in the open? Um, so, um, so, so yeah, we started on that and, uh, so that was IF labs. So, uh, we had a company, um, it is now named to IF labs. Um, and that is a company that was working on the protocol still is in terms of developing that vision. Um, Ironfish went through multiple testnet phases. Um, uh, we had probably one of the longer testnet phases, uh, running, um, and we did mainnet launch the protocol on April 20th. So on that date, the company actually split between IF Labs and Ironfish Foundation, which is where I am currently. Um, and the split that we see is um, the foundation is responsible for ecosystem growth. It's responsible for growing the community, uh, building partnerships um, like marketing, getting awareness out. Um, so it's all about how do you how do we decentralize the protocol and how do we get more people involved? And IF Labs is, uh, is where all the engineers sit um, and IF Labs kind of like the engineering arm of the IronFish protocol. Um, so your other question was, how does it compare to other privacy chains or privacy projects? Um, so there are um, there are a number of privacy projects. And I think there's like a, like a split between like the OG privacy protocols, like Ccash, Monero, and like the new age privacy protocols like us or Alia or Aztec or a couple others. Um, and so the way we differ is, we are a layer one protocol. We took a uh, strong stance that all transactions are going to be fully private. know, They're going to be fully encrypted. And we're the only layer one privacy chain that has private custom assets. Um, so it's the ability for people to create their own assets. And the reason why we did that is because we want Ironfish to be a privacy platform. We want Ironfish to have assets from other chains. Um, and so the reason why we've, we build private custom assets is so that bridge operators could bridge Ironfish to and from other chains um, like Ethereum, for instance, uh, so that users who previously have held Ethereum assets now have access to transfer those assets over to Ironfish and um, have those assets live in um, in, in a fully private layer. Um, So that's how we differ from other layer one chains, because we're not building privacy for just ourselves. We're building privacy for the greater crypto ecosystem. Um, And then some of the newer um, privacy projects, um, they're kind of building on top of uh, very specific chains. Um, So for instance, um, there's like Manta Network, which is a privacy protocol for I believe the Polkadot ecosystem. There's Penumbra, it's building privacy for Cosmos. Um, There's Aztec, they're building privacy for Ethereum. Um, and we're kind of building privacy for, um, you know, all chains. So we're kind of chain agnostic protocol. Um, and so I think out of all of those we're um, you know, we are main at launch. Um, we were pretty far, like far along. Um, and so we're kind of being able to prove our thesis a little bit faster, I think. Um, but you know, there's a lot of development happening. Um, you know, Aztec is also a really great company. Uh, they, they're rebuilding their entire protocol right now. So it's, Pretty exciting to see what they're going to come up with next. Um, but yeah, there's like a lot of innovation in the privacy space in particular, which I'm actually really excited about because when we started, there were very few teams working on privacy.
0: Yeah, I only know the I only knew of the knew of Monero and Zcash. So it's good to learn, and there's and it seems like everywhere in in crypto and blockchain is is growing and expanding. So that's amazing. Um, so you enable. Privacy and Web3, right? While maintaining regulatory and legal compliance. Now, I don't know what that is, right? Uh, I don't believe there's clear standards, you know, especially from the SEC. So, how do you know you're being compliant and meeting those standards when there's no clear, you know, definition and, out there? How do you do that?
1: Yeah. So, for any crypto company, you do have to worry about. Like the SEC, and you have to worry about this question of like if what a, what am I building is, is it going to be viewed as as a security or not? Um, so this is like not even related to privacy at all. It's more like every single crypto project has to worry about that. Um, so for Ironfish, you know, we are putting in a ton of effort to make sure that the protocol is fully decentralized. We have a foundation. The foundation is um, you know actively promoting ecosystem growth. We are proof of work chain. Um, you know, I think like the way we're building protocols uh, or the way we're building features on top of Ironfish, I think is very cognizant of making sure that it is decentralized. We're making sure that other partners in the space get to build with Ironfish. Um, so we're like, we're promoting, you know, uh, bridges being built by other partners, for instance. Um, so I think like on the decentralized front, there's a lot to be said there. Uh, we've been open sourced for, I think, two years at this point, if not more. Um, we have a ton of uh, contributors outside of the RNC ecosystem. Um, we are setting up a governance process that will enable the community to have more of a say on what the protocol does. So I think on the governance front, um, we're pretty good. Now, on the privacy front, all privacy coin or privacy-related projects have to additionally care about AML, BSA, Um, and, um, you know, sanctions basically. So making sure that you are not enabling bad actors to use your protocol um, because decentralized money sounds cool, but private decentralized money can sound a little scary to some people. Um, And so there are different ways for how privacy protocols approach this question of can we have privacy plus compliance? Um, and, And to your point, there is no clear guidelines of like this is what a protocol must do uh in order for this to be you know quote unquote compliant um and when i say compliant it's um you know you can't have a protocol be compliant per se you can only have a regulated entity be compliant um so our job is to make sure that any regulated entity that works with ironfish can continue to stay compliant while doing so um and so the way we've kind of approached this problem is um, every Ironfish wallet has a view key, and a view key gives its holder a com- complete access to all the transactional history for that wallet. Um, so this is very analogous to how like the non-crypto financial banking system works t- today. Um, I don't get to see your transactions or your balance or anything like that, but if I'm law enforcement and I have probable cause and I get a subpoena or a warrant and I go to your bank, um, your bank has to be compliant with that. And they will give me, you know, your your audit history or your bank, bank uh, statement or banking transaction history. Um, so this is very similar to, to that. Um, if you go, if law enforcement goes to a regulated, um, you know, entity and it says this person is suspicious, they would be able to use this view key to give full transactional history for that individual. Um, in many ways, I think the view key is actually even more powerful because you're not relying on bank having like good record keeping. Um this is actually like proven on chain to be accurate information. Um and you know if you are uh in like a drug raid and your law enforcement and you found like the $20 bill, you can't like interrogate the $20 bill. Um, but if you find someone's view key, you would be able to get uh their entire tra- transactional history. So in some ways like having this view keys um you know better than cash. Um, in terms that um, you know, cash is actually untraceable. And um, for Ironfish, um, every account has that view key. And so a regulated entity could potentially um, hand over that view key uh, for the individual just to um, de-anonymize the transactions for the individual given the view key. Um, so I wanna be very clear that we do not have a global view key. There is no backdoor to Ironfish. Um, there is no single entity. We don't hold anything like that. Um, but every wallet does come with a view key upon creation.
0: Good, good. Yeah, I always get always like whenever I see members of Congress saying, you know, that that, that blockchains are good for money launderers. I'm like, you know, no, no, it's probably the worst instrument. It's probably the worst thing, you know. Um, but you know, um, what you do is you make it easy for people to um, to run nodes, right? And a lot of people say, you know, we make it easy for you to run a node, but then you say run a node, and that's an immediate turnoff and people get scared automatically and immediately, right? Um, How do you make that easy for people so that they shouldn't be turned off by what you do so they want to use your chain more? How do you make it, like, simple for them?
1: Yeah, so... We definitely really care about decentralization. Um, And I think one of the the definitions for that is how many nodes do you have in the world that are supporting your system? And so that's why we have this pretty heavy emphasis on making sure that we have um, access or that people can easily run their own nodes. Um, So so yes, when we first launched, you you were only able to run a full node using the command line interface. Um, as of a couple of weeks ago, we did release the Node app. Um, so now it's a desktop app that anyone can run. Um, you just go to our website, you click on the download button for the Node app um, and uh, it should run on pretty much um, any operating system. Um, and with a, an app experience, you're given access to a full wallet as well as a full node. Um, and you can and you can run that full node through a desktop app, so we made it as easy as opening up the Zoom link, for instance. Um, uh, so, if maybe after this podcast, you can go and try it out.
0: Great. Um, so, you are a proof of—I don't say this is rare. I haven't really talked to this. many people who've been proof of work, right? Your proof of work coin, right? Why should we use proof of work in the crypto sphere? You know, that's been really attacked by these governments and these agencies, SEC specifically, on the proof of stake ecosystems. Why is it, are we more favorable toward proof of work coins and and what's the benefit?
1: Um, Yeah, so it is very atypical for a new project to start with proof of work. I will acknowledge that. There are several reasons why we did that. Um, one is decentralization. We still think that proof of work is the better approach to reach decentralization. Um, you know, anyone can mine iron fish right now. We have thousands and thousands of miners either solo mining or through mining pools. Um, and if you look at some of the proof of stake projects, it's much harder. Um, so uh, again, full nodes. Uh, a lot of proof of stake projects um, are having a hard time getting validators um, to uh, kind of be in their network. Um, and for iron fish, anyone can run a full node. Um, you know, like I said, he can run a full node after this podcast was just downloading an app. Um, so I think like that was one of the considerations of like making sure that the barrier of entry for someone to participate and facilitate the network is going to be a lot lower. If you just have a GPU card, even if you don't have access to purchasing iron, you can still participate in mining iron. I think that's very important. Um, and so I think for all these reasons, we chose proof of work. Um, the other kind of reason is, uh, especially when we started, there was this misconception that proof of stake equals faster block times, um, which is not true. Uh, one clear example is you know, Ethereum uh, had the exact same block time pre-mo- pre-merge and post-merge. Um, there are many proof of stake uh, chains to have much slower block times than, let's say, uh, some other proof of work times. Um, like Tezos, for instance i believe is either 1 or 3 minutes uh mina i believe was 3 minutes um so there's like this you know ethereum proof of work is 15 seconds and so like okay well um that was a that was a wrong kind of assumption that proof of stake leads to faster block times um uh and then yeah the other one uh was security vulnerabilities um we have been working with proof of work as an industry for more than 10 years now. Um, obviously, proof of work has its challenges, but we know all of the bugs that are associated with it. For proof of stake, when we talk about proof of stake, it's actually a family of algorithms. Um, you know, the way Cosmos, proof of stake, versus Ethereum, versus which is Tezos, versus Mina, versus, I don't know, name your other project. They all have a different way of doing proof of stake. Um, and so it's kind of a uncharted grounds in terms of security vulnerabilities. In my opinion, um, and this isn't to say that there's here vulnerabilities in the protocol itself, but that the you know we haven't really explored like the the social um, I want to say social hacks, but to some degree, to, to some degree that of like social collusion and how that affects um, the protocol um, versus proof for proof of work. Again, it's kind of like you know it's towards the side of more chaos, more anarchy, which I think does lead to better decent decentralization results. Um, and then the fourth reason, which I think is kind of what you were alluding to, is um, for proof of stake coins. I mean, typically the coin has voting and staking. And so it, it is, and, and, you know, and yield that is generated from the staking. And so um, it is looking at a little, little bit more like a security than a proof of work where The utility of the coin is very clear it's only for transaction fees and only for minor rewards um, with no other governance or no other like yield kind of um, functionality Um, so I think like yeah proof of work at this moment in time uh, it does feel like the safer choice in terms of regulatory concern
0: thank you Um, I got to shift gears now because you said two words together that got my attention you said, "Social collusion," um, and I think of social media. <laughs> when you say that, I think of social media. And right now, there's this past week, there's been a, um, there's there was a launch by Instagram called Threads, which is a competitor to Twitter. Um, you know, and a lot of people were jumping up and down saying they would love the idea of you know Threads, and I'm like, that's still Web two, you know, that's not Web three. And there are privacy benefits to Web three of people, you know, not handing over their data to Facebook or to Twitter, right? Um, what are the privacy benefits of Web three, and uh, what do we need to do to be able to mitigate our privacy concerns from popular Web two platforms to embrace Web three?
1: Yeah, great question. So this is exactly why we're building Ironfish. So it's going to be a bit of a preamble, but. Um, in web two whenever web two breaks this promise of, of privacy we have catastrophic events so we have data leaks um, we have doxing we have harassment we have um, identity thro- uh, 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 fraud um, so uh, for web two web two actually tries to retain your privacy to some extent um, and like you said like your your data does get used by Facebook and whatnot but we have this like pretty basic expectation of privacy. Um, For instance, you know, if you use your uh, any, any of your, one of your banks, even if you use Venmo in private, you have this expectation that that data is not revealed to the world. Um, and when that does get broken, um, like I said, we have catastrophic events. And so here's like some examples. Um, there's a, there's an app called Strava, which I use for running. It's a, you know, it's, it's an app that a lot of athletes use to track their runs. Um, they had this pretty massive data leak at some point that uh, that revealed the location of army bases because soldiers would go and use Strava on their daily runs and would reveal location of army bases, you know, across the world um, that were that were supposed to be secret. Um, there are many other uh, situations of like data leaks where um, you know victims would be doxed uh, and their addresses would be revealed um, to the world. Um, Gamergate was a pretty terrible like, example of that to some extent. Um, so again, when Web2 breaks its promise of privacy, we have catastrophic events. Okay. But for web three we have no privacy (laughs) like there's not even a possibility of a data leak because everything is out in the open (laughs) everything you do for web three currently um with a few exceptions of the privacy protocols that we've mentioned um everything is out in the open so if you use uh you know ethereum um you can go in etherscan you can look at your wallet you can see all the transactions but everyone else can too um so everyone can see what exchange you've you've used what if. You might hold. Um, so, based on your exchanges, I might know who you are. Based on, on your NFTs, I might know your wealth. Um, I can look at some of the other wallets that you funded. Maybe you are trying to de anonymize and you funded different wallets. There are even websites that will now link people's wallets together uh, because, you know, like NFT whales might want to have different wallets so that they might purchase or or, or sell NFTs without moving the market. And even that doesn't work because their wallets are linked. Um, and so everything you do in Web3 currently is is 100% in the open. Um, and and so it's kind of a, you know, I think like if Web3 is going to win, it's going to have to be Web2++. plus. It's going to have to be Web2 and better. And right now it's not. Uh, it is different, but I don't think it is actually better. Um, and one of the things that um, I think is tremendously worse at is privacy. Um, for Web2, at least we have some like, you know, we have some some expectations of privacy, despite all the things that you mentioned. And for web three, there's just simply zero expectations of privacy. Everything's out in the open. Um, anyway, so that's why we're building IronFish. Uh, this is exactly why we're building IronFish is to make sure that crypto has um, this Lego, this missing Lego piece for privacy. Um, and we're building IronFish to be that.
0: And um, what will be the benefits in the web three of, of what you're building?
1: Yeah. So um, we want to let people have access to a privacy platform, even though they currently have crypto from on other chains. Um, so for instance, if you hold DAI and you want to use uh, any other stable, a stable coin as a payments method, but you don't want to see the, you don't want the world to see every single transaction, um, you know, very soon uh, something we're uh, working on, um, you would be able to transfer your stable coin from, let's say Ethereum over to Ironfish, And then you would be able to transact and store it completely privately um, so that the world doesn't see every every single transaction that you've made. Um, So that's definitely one use case, but we want to obviously expand to more use cases. Um, A lot of people have uh, expressed their desire for a private DAO. For instance, I want to be part of a DAO, but I don't want the world to know about it. Because you can kind of think of it as like, if you're affiliated with, with a certain thing, um, then you know, you're you revealing some more data about yourself that you may you not know, necessarily want to. Um, private donations have definitely been a really strong use case. Um, for instance, when there were some donations for, you, for Ukraine, um, you know, a lot of people were like, wait a minute, um, you know, uh, this is saved forever, right? So if I ever need to go to Russia, for instance, in the, in the future, Um, the fact that I donated to Ukraine is publicly stored forever, like that could be used against me at a future time. Um, but this is like a very clear example. But there are other you know use cases where you might donate to uh to something that you believe in that might be controversial at the time or at a future time, um, and that is basically stored forever. Um, the other use case is private NFTs. Um, NFTs right now are being used for many different things. Um, they've been they're, you know, used to some degree for identity even. Um, but for a lot of times, just investment purposes. Um, and if you look at the, some of the like um, hacks, or I say hacks in quotes um, uh, of people losing their NFTs is because of like spear phishing attacks, right? Like I might contact you on Discord and say, hey, I want to purchase your NFT. I know who you are. I found your NFT and I really want it. And I have this like, I, I construct basically an attack towards you based on some of the information that I know about your wallet, um, and so, a lot of people now have desire of like, hey, I want to hold my NFTs in private. It's just for investment purposes. Um, I don't want to have it as my Twitter PFP. <laughs> I just want to store it somewhere safely. Um, these are some of the very few use cases that we're thinking of currently, but there's a lot more too.
0: The NFT is a good one. Yeah. I have NFTs and I would love to have, have a place to store them. <laughs> so, that I like that. Um, so, I want to ask a technical question before I ask about the future Web3, and that's and because I I hear this a lot um, on the technical side. There are zero knowledge proofs, right? Um, and what are the practical like what are they? And first of all, for people who don't know, and the second, what are the practical applications and benefits as the zk uh, of the ZKPs ZK, uh, as we transition into Web3.
1: Yeah, so zero knowledge proofs are really neat. They were invented in mid 80s uh, by Shafi Goldwasser, uh, Sylvia McCauley, and oh my gosh, and I'm blanking on the third person's name. Um, and uh, eventually, Shafi did actually get the Turing Award for it, um, which is one of the highest awards for cryptography uh, and mathematics. And um, what zero knowledge proofs are is a tool to prove honest computation. So, what I mean by that is, if I give you um, a program um, and I give you an output, I can also give you a proof that the output is correct uh, given the program. So uh, some examples of that, um, I could say like, here's a grocery receipt. Um, I don't have to show you the individual items. I can just prove to you that you owe this amount. Um, and I can give you 0 launch proof uh, that this amount is correct without you needing to redo all of the additions um, that went into that amount. That's one example of a zero launch proof or how it can be applied um you know um the way we are using zero launch proofs is we say uh, a transaction is fully encrypted so you don't get to see the proof or the sender or the amount but even though it's encrypted i can give you the zero launch proof that says it has been computed correctly such that i am not spending the funds that i do not have aka i am spending the funds that i have even though you don't get to see um. Uh, any of the any of that information um, right now zero knowledge proofs are also being used for scalability for a similar purpose so for instance I can say um you know a hundred transactions have happened like you and I may be transacted a hundred times and at the end of those 100 transactions this is the final state at the end of the 100 transactions I have you know two coins you have three coins and that's the final state and I can say that's the final output and you don't need to redo all the 100 transactions to get to that result I can give you a zero knowledge proof that says, this is the final state given this computation. Um, so right now, so that's how, how it can be used for scalability. You can just kind of summarize effectively a ton of things that have happened and say this is the end result, and you don't need to redo that yourself. Um, so yeah, um, hopefully that kind of explains a little bit about what you want through.
0: It does, it does. Um because I it, yeah, no, it does. Thank you. And um, I have another question. Is this is I noticed them recently, you know, during the bear market, like during a bull market, everybody's happy, everybody's excited, everybody's like, "Yeah, let's go!" And then in the bear market, what I noticed was that people are from from one particular blockchain or another blockchain are arguing that their blockchain is better and that it's not, you know, um, and there there's a little toxicity and that's on Twitter. Um, but you know, I'm going to say I believe, um, and I'll find out your 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 view. And because you say you' you're non like you're not blockchain specific your platform. the future of web3, I believe is a collaborative multi-chain future. What do you think? Is that true or false and why?
1: I mean I'm definitely biased to say yes. Like we are building ironfish as a layer of one and our strategy is to connect to other chains via bridges um, you know to, to basically be the privacy Lego piece for crypto which is kind of a multi-chain feature because you're saying now that um, there are many different chains and they have to talk together. Um, And I think like what people don't realize is that a lot of layer twos are looking a lot like layer ones. (laughs) So I don't know how technical your audience is here, but if you're familiar with like Optimism, Arbitrum or pretty much any other layer two solution or ASTIC even, they're trying to build their own uh, or rebuilding their own. Um, You know, if you think about what a layer two is, uh, it has its own block producer, it has its own blocks, it has its own consensus mechanism for how those blocks are accepted and how transactions are validated. And there's a bridge between the layer two and the layer one, very similar to basically the bridge that we're going to be building between Ironfish and other chains. Um, So I think people don't realize just how... um, What's the right word? How blurred the lines are between what a definition of a blockchain is at this point um, and how interconnected the systems already are, um, and all the work that I'm seeing being put into um, connecting those chains even further.
0: I have a follow up there. You said blur. And that <laughs> in that spot where well, I'm not talking about the blur chain, <laughs> but in okay, that <laughs> place where there is a blur, there have been a lot of hacks, right? It's been a lot. That's where most of the hacks this year have been in that bridge. Right. How do you think we prevent that or stop that or um, with the privacy layer help, you know, make that unblur that and make it so those hacks don't occur?
1: Yeah. So bridges are pretty, you know, are hard to make. Um, But I also want to point out all the bridges that have not been hacked. Like we have not heard of any bridge being hacked between the layer one and layer two, even though every single layer one, layer two has a bridge. We have not heard of any hacks on the rainbow bridge, which is the near to Ethereum bridge, even though there have been several attempts. Um, Cosmos IBC or like the Cosmos ecosystem is all about bridges. Their entire thesis is that There's like a, you know, a a chain per app effectively, and all of them are connected uh, with bridges. That's the whole Cosmos IBC system. Um, From what I can tell, none of those have been hacked yet, uh, or at least, you know, hopefully I'm not wrong in saying this. Um, So let's look at the hacks that we have occurred. So one of the, you know, more recent ones, or the biggest one, obviously, is the Ronin bridge hack. It was like, depending on the on the price of ETH at the time was, you know, 600 mil to a billion, <laughs> you know, it was a fairly um, um, sizable hack. Um, and that bridge was a multi-sig bridge, meaning that there were nine validators and the majority of the validators have to approve a transaction. Um, so let me just back up a tiny bit. What is a bridge and how does a bridge work? Uh, typically a bridge works in three steps. One is uh, a user on the origin chain uh, freezes their assets. Step two is that the bridge operator observes this action um, and validates that action. This is where all the hacks happen. Um, And the third step is the bridge uh, mints uh, a wrapped asset on the destination chain. Um, So these are the three steps. And the first step of like the bridge operator looking at the origin chain and saying, hey, this transaction did happen. The person did freeze their assets on the origin chain. That's where all the hacks happen. So it's really hard to... You do that generically and programmatically, for instance. And that's why we have like centralized bridges or federated bridges or multi sigs, meaning that there's a, um, you know, custom software, whatnot, that would observe that action. Um, So the rodent bridge had this multi sig thing, which is, which means that five out of the nine allergies had to sign and sign off on it. Um, And that attack was like, you know, quite masterful. Um, It was done by the Lazarus group. And Uh, one of the hackers applied for a job um, at the company and actually went through multiple rounds of interviews uh, because he wanted an engineer on their work laptop to open the resume that was a PDF file. Um, And so he had to go through multiple rounds of interviews until finally some engineer opened the PDF on their computer. um, And what happened was the engineer's stored um, the keys to the validators on their work machines. And so the exploit was able to get to those validators. And the way that bridge worked um, was that there were nine validators. The company had access to four validators, which is not majority, Um, but the fifth validator, which was not controlled by them, uh, basically would auto vote the same way as the company did. For like ease of you know, for so so it's, it's easier to kind of operate that way, um, <laughs> and so the hacker was able to basically get majority of the votes, and so the bridge basically said, oh, you know, um, uh, users trying to unlock all these funds to this address, um, so that's that second step of the bridge actually observing in action uh, in order to unlock or lock funds. Um, so they were able to get the bridge to um, to unlock funds uh, to. To, to their address, basically. Um, so to kind of back up of like, you know, does that mean multi-sig bridges are bad because we have seen a multi-sig bridge being hacked? Well, you can point to say like, well, they had terrible OPSEC or maybe nine validators wasn't enough, or maybe the way they had it structured wasn't good. Because if we look at most bridges today, almost all of them are multi-sig bridges, which it means that they're using the same exact design, but we've learned. We're like, okay, well, the idea is good. It's just like, how that bridge was uh, deployed and, I, like, and the execution of it maybe wasn't as good. Um, and so we are learning. Um, again, I think the future is multi-chain. I think we've like moved past the pains of having these bridges being hacked. And we kind of learn as an industry, um, a lot of bridges are not even multi sig They're like single signers, right? Like a lot of the layer two to layer one bridges have just one entity signing those transactions back and forth, which I think is even scarier. Um, And that is, you know, at this moment in time working. (laughs) Um, So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, some of the hacks have happened not because the bridge design is bad, um, but it's because of the, you know, the entire construction of it and the the same designs are being used today quite successfully. Excellent,
0: thank you, thank you. Um, I have, so one last question. You said, before you said running, so you're an athlete right um and so the running like I walk my dog every day um for like four miles and she (laughs) she wants to go soon but um I get a lot of clarity when I do that like what benefits do you get you know that you bring to this space by as an entrepreneur as a founder as a leader um by being an athlete
1: oh gosh um hmm Haven't done like a serious run in a while, but when I would run, I mean, it kind of like does a restart, right? Like you're so tired. You can't think. (laughs) Uh, And then you get back and you have that caught, like you you take the shower cup of coffee and you're like, it feels like your brain is restarting. Right. Because like um, otherwise you know, you always think you're, you're like obsessive about a problem that you might be having or a problem at work or company building or the product itself. And your brain kind of goes into this loop of not being able to like step back for a moment and re like reapproach this problem from a different angle. Um, and yeah, like, especially if you have like a really good workout, um, you're so tired that your brain just shuts off for that 30 minutes or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and then you get to come back and, and be a different person. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Um, So I want to thank you very much for your time today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed speaking with you and I learned a lot. So um, I have one final question. That's probably the easiest one. It's uh, how can people find out more information about you, about Ironfish, um, run a node for themselves? How can can they do that?
1: Yeah. So go to our website, ironfish.network. Um, and you'll find all the information there. Uh, if you want to talk to me or us, the IF labs, the, the foundation, um, I highly encourage you to visit our discord. It's discord.ironfish.network is the, um, the short link to get there. Uh, we're also on Twitter. So Ironfish Crypto is a Twitter handle name. Um, and my Twitter handle name is Leaton the Beaten. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you. Awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you.